Amen. Amen. How about that, Jesus? How about that, church? God is here. He has things to say. I hope you didn't hold back. And it's not too late. God is here, and he wants to change things in the landscape of our lives. How many get excited about that? We can do some changing, right? But there's so much changing that only God can do. And so I just appreciate Cortez being faithful. I appreciate just the Holy Spirit at work. You know, we don't plan these moments. I hope you appreciate that. We don't plan, you know, these, these emphasis that the Holy Spirit brings. And so we're so excited that, that when that happens, we just want to respond. We hold our plans loosely. and We say, God, breathe on them. Amen? So, well, welcome to City Life. We are honored that you are here with us on this Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, and thank you, worship team. Thank you all the dads that are serving. So many of our moms can be here in, our, in the room with us. Welcome if you're joining us online. We, again, our prayer is so much so that you would have an opportunity in our service, whether you're here in the room, whether you're joining us online, to engage with the living God. And for all of our moms, we just pray most of all that you feel seen and celebrated, not by us, right, but by the God who sees all and knows all and is above all. And so happy Mother's Day. It's always such an honor to open God's word on Mother's Day and share with our church family. And I don't know about you, but I'm so excited about this Shema series. If for any reason you were not here last week or you were unable to listen, Fred kicked off what is now going to be our new series that we're in. It's the Hebrew word Shema. And, you know, I'm in the planning meetings. I kind of know what is coming down with these series, but can I just tell you, this series if it's not for anyone else, it's for me. <laughs> because it rattled me this week as I began to pray into the truth of what Shema means. This is going to be a heart transformation series, I believe for me personally, and I believe for our church. So in case you weren't here last week, let me recap. Let me remind you, maybe some of you were here and you were scrolling Instagram instead of listening. Let me help you. I'm your friend. Okay, I'm your friend, and we're in this together. Shema is a Hebrew word of which we don't have an English equivalent. And it means listen and obey into one thing, right? It's the activity of listening and the reflex of obedience to what we hear all wrapped up into one word. There is not an English word that captures this. And our prayer in our Shema series and what we're going to walk through and discover together is this idea of us beginning a journey or continuing in a journey of a heart transformation that closes the gap between our ability to, be, to listen and obey, that they would become closer apart. Because I don't know about you, if I'm really honest, I, I listen and then I evaluate, right? I listen and I bring judgment. I listen and I push back. I listen and I argue. I listen and I, good, I use good critical thinking skills, right? Fill in the gap. Am I the only one? No, right? This idea of reflexive obedience, of listening and obeying in one response, in one activity, is honestly really mind-boggling. That I would be able to and the analogy that Fred used was this idea of a flower doesn't think about how it's going to respond to the sun. It just responds. Wouldn't it be amazing 
what would my life, what would your life, what would our, 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 our faith community, our families look like if we continue to grow in this and when, when God speaks, we obey as a reflex. There's not a middle, a gap. And so we're, I'm so excited about this series. If no one else needs a heart transformation, then this is for Pastor Vanessa Bear with us over these next seven weeks, okay? So I think that God has good things for all of us and on this, um, on this idea of reflexive obedience, there is a, a continuum, right? This idea of reflexive being one end of the continuum. The other is this heart of rebellion. And in the middle, there's this whole continuum of reluctance. And so it's really our prayer, my prayer for myself personally, selfishly, and my prayer for our church, is that as we're in this series over these next several weeks, that all of us different areas in our life that we're going to move closer and closer to being reflexively obedient and really wrestle with what that looks like and smells like and tastes like and sounds like. Like, how do you really, really do that? Because as I've been convicted this week, I shared it at our staff meeting, I'm like, am I the only one that really, when I stop and think about it, I'm not sure I know how to do that. God help me, right? God help me. So, so excited about the truth of this. So excited about what's going to happen in my heart, in your heart, as we pick this up together. So tonight, on this Mother's Day weekend, I, we wanted to, under the umbrella of this, of wrestling with and unpacking the truth of Shema, we want to look together and ask ourselves the question, the obvious question that comes to mind, what can I do now? Or even, are there things I can do now in raising my children that will prepare them for their own Shema journey later in life? And the answer is yes, a resounding yes, because how many know our kids don't come to us Shema? (laughs) They don't come to us that way. Now, I have a really cute picture of my juicy, delicious children when they were little, and they're so yummy, and they're so scrumptious, and they're so rebellious, yes? Right? Fred told the story last week. It was already in my notes. I'm like, you told the story. But Claire, she would take her little thumb out. She could barely talk. Two years old. Mommy, you know say no to me. Right? And then she'd ask, can I have a sucker? And it would be like, you know, 6.30 in the morning. (laughs) Mommy, you know say no to me. And then she would ask for something she wanted. I remember watching my boys as I would give them boundaries, you know. When they were allowed to maybe like play outside by themselves in the backyard for the very first time, it was very clear what the boundaries were. And I remember standing there in the window or on the deck, right, watching. And I could watch Ethan weighing sin, <laughs> choosing sometimes sin, <laughs> weighing the cost of should I obey <laughs> or should I? And so when you are, as a parent, if you spend any time with young children, you understand as delicious and yummy as they are, they are sinners in need of a savior. They are wretches who need Jesus. Yes, that's supposed to be funny. Yes, that's what you were. That's what I was. That's what my kids were. So, as parents, we have a sacred and divine responsibility to create spiritual momentum in the lives of our children by modeling a Shema life, a listen-obey life that teaches them what having a reflexively obedient heart looks like so that they can then be set up for success in their own spiritual journey. Wouldn't that be awesome if we could get that right? Wouldn't that be awesome if we could do that? And so I want us to get really practical on this Mother's Day because I'm a mom and I'm not fooling around when it comes to 
training the hearts of my children. And so I feel like this word is for every mom here. It's for every parent here, grandparents. If you're a young adult and you have a desire to be a parent someday, it's for you. Now, there are people in the room who've already finished training their children. And when we begin to roll up our sleeves tonight and declare truth, there, there could be this sense of, it's too late for me. And so I just want to address that right out of the gate. Because how many know the enemy likes to take something that's supposed to be life-giving and twist it and pervert it and make it bring shame and guilt, right? And so if you've already raised your kids and you have a sense when you hear these truths, I wish I would have known this then. It's too late for me. I want to give you three real practical steps right out of the gate tonight so that the enemy cannot have any stronghold in our hearts for that. First of all, it's never too late. So number one, if you're in that group of people, you can always ask for forgiveness. If you made mistakes in raising your children, it's never too late to own your mistakes. Whether it was you knew and you didn't act on it, if you were lazy, if you just didn't know, if you were in a different place in your life, have that conversation, ask for forgiveness, take ownership. It will only work to build trust and to amplify the voice of influence that you're supposed to now have in the life of your adult children. The second thing is you can purpose to be a voice in the lives of your grandchildren and do it different. And the third thing is that you can be a part of a church that is coming alongside of families to help them get it right. And so if you're here at City Life, you're part of a church that's passionate about coming alongside families that are training their children and helping them get it right. And so, if, again, if you're in that population who's raised your kids, it's not too late. There is a part for you to play. I look around this room every week, and if you've never gone back to Kid Life to see all, all the amazing children that are represented here in our church and those joining us online, we've got so many amazing families who are in the heat of raising their children. And I consider it my responsibility to come alongside of them and help create a community, right, of faith that's going to help them get it right. So whether I touch their kids and work with their kids or know their children well, or whether I'm just part of a church that's doing this, that is an important contribution. So stay the course. Let's not let the enemy get in there and tell us it's, too, it's never too late in the economy of God. Amen? It's never too late. So where we're going to start tonight is I would like us to look at some cultural parenting goals, and I would like to contrast them with biblical goals. And then from there, I want us to take a turn, and I want us to unpack three foundational ideas that lay the foundation for building the culture of your home. And I want us to ask a couple questions when we get to that point. And we'll, we'll get there in a few minutes, and I'll give you those instructions. So some parenting goals. Why are we talking about this? Let me give you the takeaway right now. Because the culture of your home ultimately determines the condition of your child's heart. And I say that knowing that that can be a hard thing for some people to hear. It's not the culture of your church. It's not the culture of the culture. It's not the culture of the school. It's the culture of your home, biblically speaking that determines the condition of your child's heart. So if there's anything that's a little bit of a heavy, this would be it. If there's anything that's got urgency and is mission critical, this would be it. But God is, has everything that we need as parents, as moms, as dads, as grandparents to help us get it right. Parenting goal Number one, the, the culture would tell us, the world would tell us that I want my children to be happy as a goal. 
I will tell you that although that's a, that's a great goal, I would like my children to be happy too, but it should not be a driving value. It should not be a goal in training the heart of my child. I would suggest to you, the Bible would say, I want my children to be wise. Because guess what? Wisdom helps them avoid the foolishness that then robs them of their happiness. So the pursuit of wisdom is a much higher pursuit. It's a biblical pursuit. Wisdom is used 367 times in the Bible. The Bible is riddled with this idea of wisdom. Getting it. I love this verse. It makes me laugh. Proverbs 4, 7. It says, the beginning of wisdom is this. You ready for it? Get some. (laughs) It's like, go find it. If it's on sale at Target, if you have to order it on Amazon, like, where do you go? Guess what? You really need it. Don't leave home without it. And that's what they tell us. The beginning of wisdom is this, get it. (laughs) Though it cost all you have, get understanding. As Christian parents, a biblical value of our home, a goal of our parenting, should be to be removing foolishness and planting wisdom. Our juicy, squishy, delicious, rebellious children are given to us, come into the world, all of man does. We're broken. We come with a sinful nature. The job of a God-fearing parent is to, like a gardener, take out foolishness. And might I add, how many have gardened and you like go to weed and you like just pluck the green that's showing but you don't get the root? How many know it's there two days later, right? A good gardener understands, no, no, I got to take the time to get down to the root. I'm going to pull out foolishness and I'm going to replace it with wisdom. I want my children to be wise. The second parenting goal that the world tells us is important is I want my children to like me. And I would say a biblical parenting goal in place of that, it would be great for our kids to like us, but the goal, the value should be I want my children to respect me. Respect, if they respect you when they're young, they will like you when they're older. If you value them liking you while they're young, you will likely lose their respect and not be able to regain it when they're older. So you want to teach them to respect you. In Ephesians, it says, uh, it it refers back to the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. There is something about teaching our children honor and respect. There are only ten commandments in the Old Testament that pass through the cross and are just as relevant under the grace that we live in now because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And do you know that honoring and respecting our parents is one of them? And it's the only one that says has a promise attached to it, that, the, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord thy God gives thee. There's actually a promise, a promise of long life, a promise of full life attached with this. So respect is something that should be a goal, a, 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 a value. Children learn respect when they are raised by parents who mean what they say, who follow through on what they say who require and enforce standards, and not just an outward conformity, but a heart response, right? That there's, they learn that, that, that getting the job done isn't the only thing that matters, that my mom and dad are requiring a heart response of submission and obedience and being bought in. I want my children to respect me. The third one, the world says to pursue acceptance. I want my children or excuse me, to be accepted. I want my children to be accepted. And again, none of these are bad. These are not evil. 
But I would suggest the biblical value is I want my children to be secure. Because acceptance changes depending on where you go and who you're with. But the young person who is secure, the old person who is secure, is the same no matter where they go or who they're with. So we don't want to teach our children to be accepted. We want to teach them who they are so that wherever they go, they understand who they are. And can I tell you that security, when we're talking about identity and putting this in the heart of a young person, it starts with family identity. This is who we are as a family. This is what we do as a family. This is what we represent as a family. We liked to use the term Team Michaud when we were raising our kids. This is what it means to be a Michaud. This is what Team Michaud does. We work hard, we play hard, we love each other, we have each other's back, right? There was values that were in our home that we talked to our kids about, we lived out, we breathed. They understood when they went out, represent. They understood they represented their family, not just themselves, they represented God. Children who understand, who are part of a family that gives them a family identity are are leaps and bounds easier to step into their identity in Christ. So that's where it starts. A family identity, for those of you that are raising young children, are what give them solid footing to then step into their identity in Christ. A child who is secure. Security is formed in the heart of a child when they learn and observe and experience parents that operate the same everywhere they go. That's the work of parenting. That's the hard work. That mom is the same at church, in front of grandma, at Target, as she is in the car, as she is when she's stressed out at home in a moment, right? That that, that parents who are the same, that parents require the same things of themselves, right? When things happen, then that conflict with the values of who I am, when I'm, we're talking about our young people, who my family is, I know who I am, I know who my family is, and hence I'm able to choose to be true to who I am. I can't violate the essence of who I am. Self-acceptance is not social acceptance, so we want to give our children security. The fourth parenting goal that the world tells us is I want my children to be successful. Again, nothing wrong with that. But the biblical value is I want my child to be faithful. We want to teach them to be faithful. God will take care of the success part if we can teach them to be faithful. Luke 12, 15 says, Jesus talking, then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. We want to teach our kids that whatever you're doing, you want to do it with all your might, with everything that you have, as unto the Lord, because everything that we do is worship. Everything that we do is part of what God's called us to. So whether you're a three-year-old and you're learning how to dump the garbages in the bathrooms, or you're a 13-year-old and the stakes are a little bit higher and the responsibility is more, everything that I'm doing is as unto the Lord and I will be faithful. We want to teach our children to chase a calling, not a material destiny. Not a material destiny. Why is this important? These four goals, why do I include them tonight? Because I'll state it again, as parents, we have the sacred responsibility to create spiritual momentum in the lives of our children 
so that they can understand what a Shema life looks like and they can be set up for success in pursuing a Shema journey. A life that celebrates and is submitted to the divine guidance of God. Now, this is a big calling. Moms, I wanna talk to you specifically. Dads, you too, but it's Mother's Day weekend, so I'm gonna say moms. Our job is to cast vision into the hearts of our children for staying the course, giving them a vision of what it looks like to be a part of something bigger than themselves, what it means to be a devoted follower of Christ. This is something that we don't do just at church or or just when we're praying. No, this is something that we're doing all the time, all the time, 24-7. It never stops. This Putting this in their heart. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Although this is a scripture and a promise for parents who have a child who has departed, can I just tell you, the, the, this is a scripture that's less about returning and more about staying. The idea of this scripture is set your child on the right path, and they will never depart, right? The New Living Translation says direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they won't leave it. They'll have, they'll have embraced it for their own. It will be part of the DNA of who they are. This vision for a life under a, a listen, obey life under the umbrella of God's divine guidance. Proverbs 29 18 says, When there is no vision, people perish. We have to put a vision in the hearts of our children. But, but those that keep the law, happy are they. Happy are they. I love in the New, New Living Translation, it says, When people don't accept divine guidance, they run wild. But whoever obeys the law is joyful, true joy. This is what being a mom that models a Shema life is like, being a home that models a Shema life, being a family, being a father, that my best life is lived within the boundaries of God's truth. My best adventure, my most purpose, my most fulfillment, it's awesome. And I would be remiss to not mention here that this works. Sometimes I feel like I shouldn't say this because you can't, how many know we can't pick the family we're born into? But by God's grace, I wanna be faithful to what God's done in my life and say this works because this has been my story personally. I was born to parents who became radical Jesus followers in the early 70s. They were hippies in college. They had no faith background. Their families were not following the Lord in any way, shape, or form. They came to know Jesus. They, 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 they gave all their goals and dreams to the Lord, and they said, we're gonna serve Jesus. Did they do everything right? No. But now at 47 years old today, can I just tell you that one thing my parents did is they did this. They had four kids, and they figured out how to model to us what it meant that my best, their best life, my kids' best life will be lived with this way. I was raised in a home with parents who loved Jesus passionately, who made it the best thing going, who put a, in my heart, I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew that my best life was serving Jesus. So when the world came calling, which it did, I was able to, and I would add somewhat easily, because it was so part of the DNA of who I was that I was able to say, I, I, I don't want what the world has because I know that the wages of sin is 
death. I know that the most adventure, the most fun, the most fulfillment, that I'm part of something bigger than myself. I have a part to play in a grander scheme. My parents got this right. I'm one of four. We all serve Jesus. We've all been able to now raise kids that serve Jesus. This works. So I say that humbly, not because I've made every decision right, not because my family's perfect. It is certainly not. But I would love to be able to say to you that it works because I know that you want that for your children. And now as I'm in the launching years with my kids, right, I'm going to be able to see them go further and farther because of the decisions my parents made and then the decisions I've, by God's grace, been able to make. And that's a promise that God has for you. So no matter what your story is, no matter how long you've served Jesus, can I just tell you, this is real. And this works. And God has this for you and for your family. He's also incredibly faithful to fill in the gaps. Can we just say that? And there's always gaps, right? He comes along and he fills it and he, he keeps his promises. So I want us to take a turn and unpack three foundational ideas that set the culture of a home. I think it's really important that we talk about this when we're talking about a listen-obey life, a Shema life where it's all wrapped up together. And I want you to ask the question as we walk through these three ideas together in these next few minutes quickly, how did the home that I was raised in do this? Did they give this to me? Where on the continuum did it fall? And then how is the home that I'm building doing in this? Where does my home that I'm responsible for as a mother, as a father, as the adult, where does it fall on this? Because the culture of your home ultimately determines the condition of your child's heart. When I say home, I don't mean that your laundry is folded and like what cleaning products you use, amen, right? We get that, right? I'm talking about the bigger, bigger, bigger definition here, how you do life, how you make decisions, your values, how you speak to each other, how you do the like the nitty gritty hour by hour life in your home, in your family. When people ask me what I do, when, you know, particularly when my kids were younger, I didn't freak them out, but sometimes I wanted to say, I am a culture builder, right? <laughs> I am a heart trainer. I'm a disciple. You want to talk about what I do? This mama don't play, right? So we get serious about this stuff. All right, so number one, is your home a mission home or a me home? Is it a mission or a me? These are foundational ideas that set the culture of a home. Measure the home you were raised in. Think about the one that you are currently building. Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4 says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Mom, dad, be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. We must stop raising children who believe the right things but aren't becoming the right people. They're not others-minded. They're selfish. They're me-oriented. And it starts with homes that are me-oriented. What are you modeling for your child? A me home is a place where these questions come first so you can ask yourself and measure in a very practical way. These might not be stated verbally, but these are the things being asked by the people that lead the home or the children that live in it. How does this benefit me? Am I getting my way? Is this what's best for me? Drives decisions. Is this convenient for me? 
A mission home, on the other hand, asks questions like, how can I help others? Is this the choice Jesus would make? Am I serving everywhere? We have those next questions, JJ. Am I serving everywhere until God reveals my somewhere? Am I deferring to the preferences of others? There they are. How can I help others? Is this the choice Jesus would make? Am I serving everywhere until God reveals my somewhere? Am I bougie about where I'll serve? Let's just put it, right? Am I a fussy about what I'll put my hand to? Mom, dad, am I deferring to the preferences of others? Everyone in my home having a voice, everyone having, having a, ch a chance, everyone being celebrated. Matthew 20, 28 says, for even the Son of Man, that's Jesus, even Jesus came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can live a comfortable life. No. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can be happy. No. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. They're on mission. We're on mission. Do our children understand that? Do we live that out for them? Are we inviting our children to join us that everything that we do is part of something that God dreamed for us before we were? Whether it's a big thing or a small thing. Do we categorize everything, certain things are spiritual and mean more to God? That's not true. That's bad theology, y'all. It all matters. How I stand, steward my home, how I serve my family, how I do menial tasks, how I mother, how I do take care of everything should be as unto the Lord. And I should do it because God planned things for me. And some of them are seen and some of them are unseen. We get to invite our children into the adventure of that they get to live a life where God has planned things for them, things that would blow their mind if he told them. Some of it's not mind-blowing. Some of it's dull and boring, right, and necessary and monotonous. That's called life. And we invite them into a place where they understand that they are on mission with God for the things that they are going to be able to do in their life. Are you giving your children a vision for the mission that God has for them? that their greatest adventure is through divine guidance. I would also ask, is your home a place where the interests of each person are treasured, valued, and celebrated? Or is there somebody who is more valued and celebrated? Mom, or dad, or parents? It should be a home where every single person is valued, treasured, and celebrated. Why is this important? Because the culture of your home ultimately determines the condition of your child's heart. And we want to have children whose hearts are ready, right, for a listen and obey Shema life with, their, with Jesus, with their Savior. The second idea that sets the culture of a home is morality or monasticism. These are the two extremes on the continuum. Morality or monasticism. Now, in our series, we're going to have teachings on different conversions, and one of them is a moral conversion. So we're going to talk an entire Saturday night on morality. But just a few thoughts I want to give you. 
You are failing your children if you are only giving them prohibitive rules that restrict instead of biblical values that direct. Failing them if you are giving them only prohibitive rules that restrict instead of biblical values that direct. Want to plug our uh, biblical parenting class. We did not offer it because of 2020 cray cray, but it is offered every year here at City Life. It will be offered this fall. I teach this class. I'm passionate about it. Fred and I are so passionate about it because it's a biblical parenting class that we spend weeks together unpacking how to help a child build a moral warehouse. They come to us without with an empty warehouse, right? And we have to put morality in their heart. We have to put things on the shelves so that when they go to decision in moments of decisioning, there's a value there that they have to act on. There's something there. How do you build children? How do you build people? How do you have, how do you, as a Christian family, right, avoid the trap of a child who seems to do everything right. On the outside, they play by the rules. They're, uh, they get sent off to college, and three months later, they've lost their ever-loving, flipping minds, and they're living a completely different life than what their family is. I will tell you right now, that is a child who never internalized the values. It was legalistic. It was only outward conformity. The values were never placed in their heart. The shelves of their moral warehouse were missing. They, and so there's real work to be done as parents. We don't have to live with that fear. Again, I came from a family that they did some things right. I was able to, I knew who I was. I remember at William and Mary walking into a frat party. I wanted to go to a frat party. Not because I wasn't, wasn't going to party, but I wanted to see what this was all about. My heart was broken. I remember, I mean, I wasn't looking down on them, but I was like, these girls need Jesus. They are playing a game. They don't know who they are. Why are they acting this way, right? I was, you're able to, if you know who you are, you can go into environments and you can bring Jesus there, right? It doesn't threaten who you are. So parents, we want to give our children not just rules. We want to give them biblical values that direct them so they can make the right choices when it's their turn. And there's incredible, concrete things we can do. Sign up for that life group if you have kids ages zero through 10. Okay, biblical values plus self-control equals moral conduct. Biblical values plus self-control equals moral conduct. I will tell you there is a lie in the body of Christ in the church. It's been around since about 300 AD, and that is this lie of monasticism that we're supposed to suffer and sacrifice and claw our way right into some type of spiritual growth or some type of betterment. Can I just tell you that is not in the Bible? Let me read you Philippians 4, 8, and 9. This is not monastic. This is beautiful. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing. And then the God of peace will be with you. I love that verse. I'm also challenged and convicted by that verse because I do believe that my calling as a mother, I should be able to say this to my kids. All these things, true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, think about them. And then keep putting into practice Derek, Ethan, and Claire. All you learned and received from me. Will you learn and receive from Christ? Absolutely. But guess what? As parents, we're supposed to be able to say that to our children. Everything that you've seen from us, follow us as we follow Christ. 
When you inspire your children to do right things, it will displace their desire to do wrong things. If you inspire in their heart, it will displace the desire to do wrong. Why is this important? Because the culture of your home ultimately determines the condition of your child's heart. The third foundational idea in culture creation is that of matrimony or membership. Matrimony or membership. Isaiah 54, 5, for your creator will be your husband. The Lord of heaven's armies is his name. He is your redeemer, the holy one of Israel, the God of all the earth. This idea of God being our husband, all of us collectively, men and women, it's not weird. Just We are the body of Christ, right? This idea of him being our husband, 2 Corinthians 11.2 references God as a jealous God like a lover. He's jealous for our affections. He's jealous for our attention. Revelations 19 talks about the wedding feast of the Lamb. It's just another picture of, of, of God being, being, being a husband to us, right? Coming, coming and, 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 and pursuing us. Are you teaching your children to be church members or are you teaching them to be the bride of Christ? One is membership, rules, privilege, title. One is covenant, passion, commitment, all in. Membership seeks a few things if you're not sure. Membership seeks privilege, title, recognition, convenience, preferences, negotiation. Listen, obey. Like there's no negotiation, right? Membership. Luke 17, I won't read it for the sake of time, but Luke 17 is such a beautiful parable and it's basically the master and he has some servants and the servants are contracted to do work. They have a job description. We all understand that. And it basically tells the story of, and, and we're, the, we're the servants here. We're the ones that often get it wrong. This idea of, of, of we do the work that we've been hired for, right? We do the work of our job description. We do what we've been created for, and we want a pat on the back. We want a bonus, right? I know I want to be seated at the right hand of the Father if I obey him, when really that's just what's expected of me. Does that make sense? The difference between matrimony and membership. Matrimony seeks this. His glory, not our own. His agenda, not our own. I love the idea of getting to train our children in this. This idea that we get to teach our children that God is up to something. He has an agenda, and we get to partner with him. We get to learn what it is and be part of it. He has an agenda of what he's doing in our family. He has an agenda of what he's doing in our neighborhood. He has an agenda of what he's doing in our church. And we get to train our children, teach them, invite them into the adventure of that. Let's ask God what he's up to and let's get on board. Let's help him. Let's be a part of the good things that he has called us to do. His people, not our own. His future, not our own. When we raise children who see themselves as the bride of Christ instead of members of a church, they cannot wait to walk down the aisle to be with him every weekend. They understand the passion. They understand what it looks like. I'm going to invite the band to come forward and get in place. Because again, I'll state it one more time, the culture of your home ultimately determines the condition of your child's heart.
So this is, this is the secret sauce right here. This is the skinny. Moms, I want to talk to you. Spiritual maturity is our gateway to credibility when it comes to being a dominant influence in the lives of our children. It's not rocket science. Spiritual maturity is what lends our voice and our life credibility to then have influence. When you have influence, you don't have to fight for affection. You don't have to fight for attention. When you speak, people listen. And that's what it looks like. That's the ultimate. And so for every mom here, I want to encourage you that if you're on a path of transformation with Jesus, you are on the right path. That you would continue to do the hard work of rolling up your sleeves, of assessing how you're building the culture of your home against the truths of God's word, your biblical parenting values and goals against what the culture says and then what the Bible says, doing the hard work day in and day out. And as you avail yourself to your own spiritual transformation, your own Shema journey, you are going to do just that with no extra effort, you are going to model what a Shema life looks like. And I will tell you that a Shema life does nothing but invite and inspire. It's not a lot of work. Someone who listens and obeys like that, people want to be around them. They have a draw to their life. They know who they are. They know where they're going. They know who they belong to, right? They're living adventureful lives, purpose-filled lives. As we do this, our children are brought into the wake of that. That's the life that they're going to be invited into by virtue of the choices you make. So we get to say, each one of us, moms, follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Am I perfect? Absolutely not. I apologize quickly. I own my mistakes. I walk humbly. But follow me, kids. You can. You can follow me. And they want to follow. They want to follow because they know who you're following. My prayer is that for each mom here, each parent here, each family here, that we will give our children an inspiring example to follow, not a list of rules to live by. An inspiring example that they're like, of course, of course my best life is this. Of course I want to choose right because I know who I, whose I am and I know who I am. Go ahead and stand where you are. I just, I hope as we roll up our sleeves in this Shema series, I hope that you do the hard work, each one of us, regardless of life roles, that we would do the hard work. I think it's gonna be harder than we think. I was surprised this week as I started to really think about it and pray about it and look at different areas of my life. This closing the gap between listening and obedience, that my heart would grow closer to a place of being reflexively obedient, where there's no decision, there's no choice, there's no pause, that I would live that life. I do in some areas of my life, but there's other areas I have big gaps between listening and obedience. And my prayer for each one of us, and especially our moms, is that we would lead these lives so that we can then bring our children with us and set them up for success to have a Shema life journey that God has dreamt before they were ever formed that they would run hard after God. Amen. 
let's just pray. Father, I pray in this moment. God, I thank you. I pray for each mother here, regardless of what she's facing, regardless of how long she's been your daughter, regardless, maybe she hasn't made a vow of devotion to you. Maybe she doesn't see herself as your daughter. She hasn't stepped into that identity. Father, for each mom here, regardless of where she is, I pray that she would have an opportunity right now to respond to you. Father, I pray for each mom here that she would feel embraced by you, that you would pull her into a bear hug of, girl, you've got this. You can pursue me and as you pursue me and fall more in love with me and align your life closer to what I have dreamed for you. You will set up your children for all that I've dreamed for them, that we will break curses, that we will set our children up, Father, that we will establish their feet on the right path so when they're older, they will not depart. Lord, we pray right now for every mother's heart that it would respond to you. We would open ourselves up to you and we would say, God, we want to learn how to walk a life of reflect, reflexive obedience to you. Listen, obey, listen, obey, listen, obey. And that that would transform us from the inside out. Father, for each mother here, I pray right now as we worship you for these next few minutes, that you would speak spotlight of truth on an area, something that needs to change, something that needs to be realigned, something that we, an action item that we can do to respond to this word, that we would be able to be women of God, mothers and fathers and grandparents, mothers that follow hard after you, that listen and obey with all that we are in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship.